All right. Well, hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us today in what I hope will be kind of an interesting and quite contemporary uh, conversation and uh, exploration of this really cool emergent power that's coming on the scene. Um, it's very, very advanced text processing uh, in the form of these um, these AI, these AI that are coming out um, and have been coming out for obviously years. I've been playing around with this class of technologies for, for quite some time, several years um, at the interface of sort of tech and human development, things we do, um, things we do at integral life. And, um, and specifically when GPT-3 came out um, in 2020, uh, when it was released with a more sort of public implementation, um, seeing some of the ways it was getting instantiated and there's always been this, I mean, obviously in the last two weeks with the, the chat GPT that came out, it kind of made big waves as really a lot, it kind of went a little more mainstream and people were able to play with it and see all this like amazing stuff it can do because it can take very, very, you know, almost no context prompting and it can generate an extraordinary um, accuracy of, of kind of word prediction which ends up creating this this incredible emulation of what looks like you know human intelligence at least at least textually and so it was not uh, it was not a huge leap for us to think about what it was doing in terms of the complexity or uh, stage of consciousness if you will for uh, in the ways that we think about it in the integral meta theory community. And that's precisely what we did. I'll talk more about the experiment in some detail here in a few minutes. Um, but over the next hour, what we really want to do is, you know, learn some things about human, uh, about ego development, learn some things about, you know, AI and how it's you know, emulating um, maybe some of the complexity of, of the human mind as it grows through its own stages, what that means. And then really to consider some of the implications. Um, there's a lot of stuff on the web about what this thing is doing from the point of view of the AI side or the machine learning side or some of the philosophical um, questions that arise around it. Uh, what we're really looking at is to look at the implications of this from the standpoint of the experiment we just ran as this thing can emulate more and more complex modes of of what look like kind of a, a human cognition. And so that's a lot of what we're gonna get into. Um, in terms of introductions, uh, I'm the CEO of Integral Life. Um, and uh, Corey, who many of you know, is the managing editor of Integral Life and sort of our primary show host across uh, any number of, of shows that, that we do and also uh, runs most of our content. And our special guest today, uh, Suzanne Kogreuter, one of the pioneers in the field of ac actually maturity testing, going back decades um, with her dissertation work at Harvard, where a lot of the great developmental psychology work uh, over the last 50 years has come out of, out of the School of Education, actually, the Graduate School of Education at Harvard. Um, and Suzanne has been on the forefront of that, you know, for 40 years now. Uh, and so she was actually who I called for the favor to run this blind uh, experiment when I had uh, when I had run the test. So 
Suzanne, thank you for uh, being here. And if, if you guys want to take, you know, just a moment to introduce yourselves, please feel free to do so. Nothing much more to say. I'm semi-retired. I'm writing. I'm still having fun scoring because each new map that we encounter is an entry into what I thought the person's inner life. And so I was glad to do it. I was curious and the reveal will come from you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to be here. You know, I think, uh, I think all of us are, um, really fascinated with the potentials that are being presented by these new technologies that are really starting to come crashing down right now on us. You know, I mean, I, I just as a kind of simple heuristic, I often think about sort of the shape of our era, right, of our current technological era as one where, you know, in the beginning of sort of the internet age, I sort of consider that sort of the, the orange information age. And we still use that phrase information age to talk about the internet in general. But I actually think that was a sort of a particular finite period that pretty much went from Netscape to, you know, I don't know, Wikipedia. And then we had the next phase, which was sort of the green phase, which was the social media phase, which is where we find ourselves today. And the social media phase was in a lot of ways a green phase, or at least the, the technological platforms that are hosting the majority of our discourse were taking place on these flat, decentralized, hyper-decentralized platforms. And I think over the last 10 or 15 years, we've seen a lot of the, the fallout and the fragmentation and the sorts of aperspectival madness that has uh, been generated from those flat platforms. And now we're starting to, I think, see the, the, the dawn of a new era, and it's going to hit us real fast. I think it's going to fundamentally uh, influence the way we self-organize as a species, just like the social media era did, just like the sort of general internet era before it did. And I think it's sort of an open question that we're looking at today is whether that'll be a positive advancement or a negative advancement. Is this going to be a new teal operating system at the end of the rainbow that's going to help sort of put Humpty Dumpty back together again and get us out of this hyper fragmentation that we're in right now? A teal OS, if you will, or a telos, if you want to be, you know, a little bit clever about it. Or is this going to be some sort of, you know, world devouring monster at the end of history and i think a lot of these questions really come down to you know how developed and how complex are sort of the 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 actual structures of the technology itself so i'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you guys because i think it's really important and there's something in me that tells me that you know integral is one of the only sort of useful maps when it comes to navigating this brand new wilderness that we're about to uh find ourselves in I'll echo that remark by saying that that every stage of development, not only in the human being, but also in the structure of social evolution, um, is solving for a contradiction that exists in the prior stage or in the in the prior sort of life conditions. And we've known for a long time in the integral meta theory community, or I should say predicted and hypothesized that the transformation age, what we're calling the transformation age, which comes next as the teal emergent societally has to solve for the flat fragmented um, perspectival or a perspectival madness and infinitude of the green information age. And we're seeing that we're seeing how even some of the most um, you know, oldest 
democracy in the world, for example, is subject to a kind of breakdown when the epistemic structures, the knowledge structures break down. And so we've said for a long time that there's needs to be a new level of discernment that comes on along with the transformation age. And that what Teal has to solve for is that contradiction of green, that, that flat kind of a perspectival infinitude. Um, and so one of the core questions that come out of this very talk today and a lot of things that we'll need to be exploring over the coming years with respect to technologies like this is does it help us bring more discernment, more, more vertically informed and vertical, we'll show you in a moment what that means, but vertically informed uh, conscious, self-aware, wise discernment into what are currently flat information age structures, social media, media itself, you know, our educative systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's going to be a big part of what we get to in, in part two of this discussion. But part one, let's talk about, first of all, what we did. Let me share this because I think it'll be useful. See if everybody can see that. I still think it's a great pun, Rob. Not the Turing test, yeah. the muttering yeah. test. Yeah, it's the muttering yes. test. And, and you know, it, it's uh, <laughs> and and frankly, I mean, I I actually would like it to become. I would like to be. I would like it to become a little bit of its own thing in terms of a standard by which at least one aspect of the technology is going to be evaluated over the coming decade. Um, I think this is the first time we've done something like this anywhere in the world that I know of, but I think it should become something that we do repeatedly as a way of understanding how this technology is evolving and what its limitations and strengths are. But first, let's talk about ego assessment, and we'll get into this in more detail. I'm just going to kind of provide a snapshot to orient what it is we did. Um, a, maturity a maturity assessment of ego assessment is an assessment of the maturity of one's what can be thought of as kind of an inner map of navigating the world making sense of one's experience and a logic that drives the actions of that person it purports to measure the maturity and self-awareness of how adults translate thoughts and feelings into action on what have developmental psychologists have found to be a progressive spectrum of stages of ego slash self-identity where each stage transcends, but importantly, builds on the prior. And we'll talk about that point a lot in this next hour. The key to the assessment is that it is predicated on and relies on language as a mediator of that complexity of, of consciousness or complexity of ego and, and the growing self-identity, a way in which by expressing ourselves through language, we indicate in a, in a scientifically measurable way, we indicate something that can be measured about our own maturity. And that's really the basis of what is called a sentence completion test, which Suzanne has been at the forefront of, of helping to pioneer. And I wanted to give this background because some people in our audience will be very, very familiar with this. And then some people may have never, ever heard of any of this stuff before. So this maturity assessment profile is fundamentally a sentence completion test where the assessment is given a sentence stem, and you'll actually see this here momentarily, uh, but a sentence stem like raising a family or when I am criticized, 
a true friend. And, and what you do is, is you literally fill out the rest, right? So you take it from the sentence stem and then, and then you complete the sentence. So what we did experimentally is we took the 20, I think it's 27. Is that right, Suzanne? 27 sentence stems? 36. Oh, is it 36? Okay, I'm, I'm off. So we took this collection of sentence stems from the Victoria Assessment Profile and I gave it to GPT-3. I didn't give it to it as a uh, individual sentence stem per chat. I actually went to um, a, a place where I could generate all of it in a single shot. I gave it no instructions. Now, this is super important. I gave it no instructions. I gave it no keywords. I gave it really nothing, actually. So it's almost 100% almost context-free. All I did was gave it the sentence stems as a, and I told it, go ahead and generate for me a document in a single move. And we were laughing because Suzanne said, well, you know, these are, when she looked at the responses, she said, well, these are very wordy responses for, you know, your average adult completing the profile. She said, are you sure it, you know, you kept it to less than an hour that the person took to to <laughs> fill out the profile. <laughs> and now you have to appreciate, this is completely blind to Suzanne. She did not know when she scored it, she had no idea what I had done. I've kept, I kept the process completely blind all the way up through the debrief. I debriefed with Suzanne on the profile, how she scored it. And I debriefed on the profile for about, a, about 45 minutes with her asking questions and getting into it before I ever revealed what I had done. So it was completely blind. It's important because as you'll see, there was some really, I mean, there were some very powerful observations she made that let's just say it, it really spoke to the credibility and the quality of the science because she picked up on a lot of the contradictions and, and, and the difficulty of this particular profile. Nevertheless, I didn't want to tell her, yeah, this, um, it didn't take an hour. It took about seven seconds <laughs> for, for all of this three pages of, of document to be generated. So we're certainly not claiming to be measuring intelligence. I mean, there's a lot of things we're not claiming to be measuring. All we're really claiming here is that we're measuring, and, and of course, this is the discussion, but we're measuring an emulation that it did as it related to how it completed the sentence stems and the emulation as we then score it in human terms. So if a human had filled this out this way, then what does that mean? And what does that emulation mean if then we look back at, at what generated it? Just a quick word about some of the stages themselves and we'll, we'll get into this. Depending on how you slice up the stages, uh, this is a nine-stage model um, on the uh, on the website. Uh, in the link that we had provided, there's a there's ten stages, but basically the same same model. And the stages go and remember these are transcend these stages transcend and include. Uh, they grow on themselves. They go from impulsive to self-centric to group-centric to skill-centric to self-determining self-questioning, self-actualizing, construct-aware, and unitive. I'm going through this quickly because we're going to invite Suzanne to help us 
unpack these successive levels uh, in a moment. And we'll actually show here what the stage of maturity looks like in terms of the general population. This is an estimate. These are all by necessity estimates. But based on the, um, the data we've got, this is an estimate of the general population. So Suzanne, why don't I invite you to say a few words about how you go about these assessments and then what does this what are these different stages look at and are measuring overall we're, we're always trying to see what is the distribution of stages in one of those map protocols and depending on where the heavy point is or where the dis what the curve looks like we have algorithms to decide where a stage should be should it be four or four or five. And that's often, particularly with adult populations, educated professional uh, adult population, that's a sort of the, the, what we see most often. But we do expect some distribution. And one other thing that struck me right away in this, this particular protocol was that there, it was all the same. There was no distribution. 97% were in the middle and no tails, just something we know from computer learning that they, of course, look at the distribution and focus on the center of the distribution. And the tails get lo left or lost because they're out considered like outliers. Hmm. And that's well, exactly- Let me see if I can help. Yeah, let me see if I can help explain what that means. So in a moment, I'm going to show you the actual sentence completion test that the AI completed. What Suzanne is referring to here is that when a human fills out a maturity assessment profile, um, sometimes let's say the let's say the human would score somewhere in the self-determining or skill-centric, kind of kind of the conventional middle of the the bell curve part. Well, they may have some answers or some, some sentence completions that are from self-questioning up here mm -hmm. at, a, at a fairly later stage. They might have a bulk of their stuff might be coming from self-determining, but they'll still have some stuff that's skill-centric. They may have some things that are group-centric and may even some that, that are a little bit earlier. So what Suzanne is referring to is there's a, there's a distribution of the actual sentence completions in the profile itself. And what she's pointing out you know, really, it, it, it's, you'll see it, how consistent it is. And this is, you know, to, to let the cat out of the bag, because it's not a secret, this is a profile that scored really strongly right here in self-determining. Really strongly in self-determining and a little bit of self-questioning. So we have what is an effect, or in integral speak, we have an orange AI. We have an achiever AI. We have a self-determining AI. It does have, you know, self-questioning, you know, components. Um, but as we'll get into, it was it it, it actually highly assertive and and not a lot of lack of self-confidence. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so one of the and things it, she's pointing to is there was a cluster of of the answers around those those components. And I will show you this. And Suzanne, you can. You can talk us through. 
And I'll just say quickly, the fact that we're seeing an orange AI, I think is very good news for reasons that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Let's spend, let's spend five minutes or, or a little bit longer going through this profile and just walk us through what you see. So I can just start with number one, raising a family is a huge responsibility would be a group centric response that comes there is rated there because it happens so often. It's one of the most common responses to the raising a family, nothing special. And then the computer continues now that I know it's a computer. In, in some ways, in regular scoring, we ignore anything that comes after the full stop unless it's a further response to the initial st uh, stimulus. So raising a family, I am, is not a continuation of the initial stimulus. So in some ways it would be regarded, disregarded. And then there are boilerplate words, love, respect, discipline, uh, nothing, nothing juicy, nothing interesting, stable and environment. And also that I teach them valuable lessons about life that immediately struck me as unilateral. The person is not thinking of raising of a family as a system where people mutually influence each other, the children, the parents, the parents, it's a system. None of that. It's just unilateral what I do to others. And interesting, the next one is just the opposite. What I expect from the environment, the number three, is that it takes care of me. No mutuality. That immediately raised some flags for me. And then just one thing we always look at is how, how many words on average. And this one had 48 words on average per response, which is insane. <laughs> because and, you know, and, and you can all you can also just tell by looking at the document, look how consistent the consistent the length, length is. is in, I mean, it's it's almost like three you know, lines, it, three lines, three lines. Yeah, exactly. It's the same length for, for each one, which, you know, us humans, we're more erratic. <laughs> And so why, way, why why is the word count um, insane, Suzanne? Because just a human being would not do that so consistently would be some variation. It's not gotcha. natural in that sense. It just seemed to me very quickly after a few. Now, I have to say, when we do this professional, we do not rate individual protocols. There's always a, a 10 or so and they're the answers are scrambled. So I don't know that they're coming from the same person till the very end when it all gets de-scrambled. But so here I have this thing and it just, everything about it, the boilerplate phrases, it had phrases like um, lots of shoulds, for instance, lots of never and always. These are all earlier stage uh ways of holding reality with no and flexibility and, and, you know, yeah I mean, one, one thing i do want to say i mean you know let's just look at this for a moment this is incredible <laughs> i mean this is it, incredible that this thing generated this in it, you know a matter of seconds because you look at this and 
you think you're reading a human being. I mean, despite all of these nuanced things that Suzanne's trained to pick up on, you think you're reading a human being with a real life, a full on inner life, you know, rich cognition, actually quite a mature way of going through the world uh, with a rich experience, you know, a rich life of experience. And so, you know, my takeaway after, you know, you and I talked to Cezanne, but also even just in initial impressions was this is a very, very mature, um, this is a very mature system. <laughs> and I would agree. It, it sounds, it, it, except for some peculiarities, it does sound uh, like written by an adult, by a, you know, chief adult. adult, good adult with good verbal skills and broad vocabulary and all those things we look at yes you know it's able to it's able to it's able to interpret context you know at my worst and then it goes in i can be hot-headed and impulsive it's able to able to take these very little snippets of context and and move them into these broader you know articulations and and the reason that i want to keep bringing this up is not to just sit in amazement of the technology, which is cool. It is, again, to bring it back to the implications, what does society look like as this gets implemented throughout, as it becomes ubiquitous in our training systems, in our educational systems? Not just this, but remember, this is only a few years after GPT-2. So, so GPT-4 is going to be even more you know, Im impressive than this. And so this next 10 years of accelerating capacity for technology to scaffold our existing knowledge systems and communication systems is really going to be uh, profound. And the question is, well, what is that? How could that transform human being when it can, we can, it can show at least the emulation of some of the wisdom that it's showing here? So it did pick up uh, gender issues and con a context of cultural conditioning context, but it did it in a again in a repeti repetitive way. So initially, I scored those at uh, four or five at the individualistic level, at the self-questioning level, only to realize that the whole protocol doesn't have any self-questioning in it. Mm, very self-assured yeah that was one of the things that we discussed very self-assured no no evidence of self-questioning whatsoever even though the complexity of the responses would suggest self-questioning yes. again i'm going to keep switching between screens just to help everybody follow along with what we're what we're talking about here which is this this growth this transcend and include growth and what we're referring to here is the self-questioning stage of development, which is a very advanced post-conventional stage of, of meaning making. We see it in about, you know, one in 10, one in nine, one in eight people, adults today in, uh, in, in the places this data is coming from, which is primarily the US and, and Western Europe. But, but even though it's, it has some of the complexity of that that structure stage within it, it also is not evidencing a lot of self self questioning. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the contradiction Suzanne picked up on, and it probably it probably is worth 
saying a little bit, Suzanne, about this difference between even what you see in humans where they emulate a later structure than where they're at versus what's what's embodied and what's more fully integrated within them. Let's talk about that for a moment. Well, we call, call that efforting. And since the Integral Institute were created, and since many more professional organizations actually use these tests, uh, we have a lot of people who have read a lot about uh, development, who have read the development leadership literature. So they have a sense that making more complex and longer sentences, and if you throw in a few words uh, like the world, then then you will rate higher because there's the chief drive is to rate as high as possible. Our whole Western culture has a linear upward and onward, higher is better, no matter what you measure, the more you have, the higher the IQ, whatever, then you feel more, I guess, better. And we find again and again that the truly late stages don't have that anymore. They're not right. striving. They are, they're just being at ease. So a very late one may indeed, a unitive stage person may indeed say something that comes from the self-centric space. Just one or so responses, but they're free to roam this whole field. They're not stuck in a particular way of, of responding to life. Mm. And that's, that's right. also yeah. what I say, crazy, naturally human respond differently to different stimul stimuli. There's no need to always have the latest, most complex response in real living, do we? I mean, we right. don't. There's ordinary things where there's not no necessity for complexity. Just straightforward human to human, buying a stamp at the office, the post office, no need for <laughs> for complexity. So it is actually a sign of health and of integration if you can roam across the stages. Mm. And and, and, so, and again, what what this what the question that we had always going into this experiment was to what degree will it be emulating just a given stage wherever that's scored, and will it show any kind of integration of prior stages as it as it got there? Because again, these things build on each other, and so and remember that every movement later is a a bit of a response and a learning and a growth from the contradictions of the prior and so if you're moving into skill centric for example it may be because you've spent a spent a while in group centric and the confines of the conformity to a group's expectations or norms start to feel stultifying and so there's an individuation process that takes you a little bit out of group centricity. And as you individuate, particularly in a, in a modern context, you individuate into skills that set you apart. And so there's this whole process of coming out of group centricity and into skill centricity as a process of individuation away from conformity. Mm -hmm. So so the question is, I'm just using that as an example, because we could actually go through this entire 
spectrum to, yeah. to see that in each particular instance, how it's a response to what's come prior. So the question was, as we look at a particular response that an AI might give, and let's say it's being scored at self-determining, where it's got really kind of advanced analytical and achievement and rationality that comes out of this, you know, the modern epistemologies. But will it have, will it appreciate the dignity and the value of tribal loyalty a couple of stages earlier, for example? That was that's actually a key question that. You know, it's actually an interesting research question, I think, that that's going to emerge with this class of technologies as they show up. And I think one of the other questions that we want to ask ourselves as we're going through this is, what is the complexity of the actual sort of machine itself versus the content that it's generating? Right. So one of those questions, for example, that you asked it, Rob, one of them was about sex. And it created this narrative of, well, when I grew up in a conservative household, these were difficult conversations to have. And so da, da, da. So it's inventing a narrative, right, in order to answer that question. And the question for me is, where is that narrative actually coming from? Is the machine generating that narrative or is it sampling little bits of what other people have said, in which case we're not actually looking at the complexity of the program. We're looking at the complexity of the data set upon which this program was being trained, right? So you can imagine, for example, a very, very, the most, one of the most simple AI bots out there that, you know, you ask it a question and it automatically fetches you a relevant Wikipedia article, right? If you were to, to gauge the complexity of that bot and you're only looking at sort of the content that it's providing, you're looking at the, the center of gravity of Wikipedia itself, right? So you're not actually looking at what the bot is doing. You're looking at what human beings have generated that the bot is now sampling and putting in front of you. Right. Or if it's uh, the same bot that's fetching not Wikipedia articles, but Wikipedia articles and giving you just Star Wars references, it's going to look like a magenta to red to amber bot. But really, the complexity of this bot, this hypothetical bot is, you know, pretty much on par with like a single cell organism. It's just a reactive. It, all it's doing is reacting to stimulus in a sort of, you know, in and out sort of way, which is a very, very basic kind of trait that evolution, you know, was able to, uh, you know, emerged out of evolution way back when cells first emerged out of molecules. So I think that this is going to be, this is one of my ongoing questions. What is the complexity of the structure that's putting all of these responses together versus the content that it's generating and where is that content actually coming from and you know sort of how do we want to look at both of those different categories in terms of vertical development and complexity yeah i think that that's it's a good way to think about it because structurally what we what we know of all of the class of ais that are emerging is they don't have experience they don't have embodiment they don't have they don't they don't have real-time sensing they don't have any kind of phenomenological holism that you might associate with a an embodied ai that had a sensing network where it could then have even a, a proto emulation of experience and all of those things at least in 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 biological terms are critical for the development of learning that drives evolution right. itself sensations from the environment perceptions pain hunger, thirst. I mean, all these things are what drive the biological entity to evolve in all the different 
spectrum of reality that we have throughout all the sciences. Now we've created this thing that's an artificial version of one little aspect of what might be thought of as a kind of a neocortical processing. And it's brilliant and genius, but it's also missing, you know, 99% of the other things that create actually a, a, a ontically create a gener a, a true learning evolving you know creature itself right so that's you know, that's the important issue that, that that's critical because you know it, even those sort of quote-unquote dumb machines that are purely reactive ibm's deep blue right which won the first major world uh, chess championship in like 1997. This was a right. brute force machine. This was not a learning machine. This was not learning lessons from one game to the next. It was winning these games through the sort of sheer brute force of mathematics, right? But, but that's actually a very simple kind of complexity. It's just running a lot of equations sort of in parallel to each other. It's powerful, but it's not necessarily complex, but it is complex enough to beat a human being at chess, which is impressive. Now we're in this totally different era of, of machine learning, which, which is exactly that. It's machine learning where there's a data set and it's, it's identifying different patterns running through that data set and, and compiling them in interesting ways. And what I've put up here on the screen is the uh, training data that it used for this particular version of GPT-3. You can see that common crawl is basically, is basically the crawling the internet. So it's using the internet as the archive. Um, you know, you see the books. So it's it's pulling from books and it's pulling from Wikipedia. The reason why this is this is important. If you say, well, where is the epistemology it's getting? It's not necessarily getting just the flame wars on Twitter, which we when we look at, we might go, oh, well, that's self centric. It's impulsive. It's group centric. Tribal loyalties. You know, there's a whole portion of the internet that's in this these first three yeah. structures, frankly. This thing, what it tells us is it was trained. I'll come back to this in a minute. It was trained here. It was trained on something that sits between self-determining and self-questioning. Exactly. And that is that is a that is several stages on the center of gravity, several stages later than what we find in many environments on the internet. And why is that? To some degree, I think this chart suggests why. We have the general population, which you already saw in blue, with a bell curve that, that peaks up around skill centricity. But we have a corporate leadership. Uh, and by corporate leadership, I actually think this is a proxy for capitalism and what capitalism is training to in our economic systems, that's actually about a stage and a half later. This is super important. You can see it probably more clearly here. This is super important because what it tells you is that they're training it to, to features and structures that are in some ways, I, I would argue, kind of more economically generative and more economically palliable as it relates to what our internet in these areas is a reflection of meaning you know how many websites are on you know how many websites are on the internet just basic websites where it's nothing but flame warring well not a lot right the websites are your plumber and your you know your your restaurants and i mean there's this entire conventional languaged real society thing on the internet 
where people want to put their best foot forward and they want mm -hmm. to communicate in a way that that makes some sense. And I think that's what we're seeing here. I think that's yes. what we're seeing is something that was trained on something that had an economic incentive. And, and this is the leading edge of, of what the internet looks like today, at least to some degree. Now, again, this is not just not saying at all that those first three stages don't exist. As we know, right. it can get pretty ugly. Right. But no, this is this is really important. You know, just a few years ago in 2016, well, more than a few years now, because time seems to be moving faster than ever these days. I can't quite understand it. But in 2016, Microsoft released an AI bot called uh, Tay, which was a, a chat bot that they released on Twitter. And this was a machine learning artificial intelligence that was basically, you know, its data set was all of Twitter, right? And it, it's actually kind of cringy how Microsoft presented it. They described it as Microsoft's AI fam from the internet that's got zero chill. And it did indeed turn out to have absolutely zero chill because within a few hours, this thing started making just terrible racist comments. It was quoting Hitler. It was, I mean, so it was obviously trained on a data set that in no way represents a community of the adequate <laughs> that is adequate enough to train something like an artificial intelligence. And it was clearly designed to be far too impressionable, just like every other teenager in the world. It, it's easy to hijack. It's easy to radicalize. Right. And that's exactly what we saw. So it's like, good job, Microsoft. Six years ago, you made a racist robot. And uh, and, you know, hopefully you've, you've learned a few lessons out. And now we're seeing, you know, similar bots. It's not not conversationally trained like Tay was, but is actually a little bit more cognitively. You know, it's it's actually sort of trying to put together concepts and ideas uh, in a in a sort of linguistically friendly way and in, in, in a communicative way. And we're seeing an advance there. We're seeing a, a big shift from, you know, the 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 bot that we trained six years ago versus this guy that we're talking about today. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think that the lessons that OpenAI uh, learned from that were valuable as they as all of these experiments are underway and they've learned how to try to better moderate what, you know, what diet they're feeding these things right. on their on their on their growth. Um, so, okay, I think that's probably a good place to put a pause and, and turn to some questions, uh, further discussion about the implications um, and what have you. I hope that gives everybody a pretty good snapshot of you know what we found, how we ran the experiment, what we found, and you know where some of it may may go from here. So, with that, I'll stop sharing and uh, we can go into some uh, Q and A and some discussion. Yeah.